Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in fabulous Las Vegas. Uh, finally, not flying solo. Appreciate you guys, uh, you know, bearing with me as I talk to myself for an hour each week. And uh, today, I'm very happy to announce that I will not be doing that because joining me live in my hotel room in in Treasure Island Casino, which is really nice, like underrated property, is a voice that most of you, if not all of you recognize he is one of the main uh, lead commentators for poker go and poker central um he also is involved in i don't even know how many podcasts we'll let him tell us and he even has a new game show coming out yeah uh so please welcome for the first time on the tpe podcast my friend jeff platt clayton it is good to be here i listen to the show on a weekly basis so i'm happy to join you for this one nice room by the way at treasure <laughs> island you got that sweet life yeah this, <laughs> yeah so this is called uh taking lemons and and making lemonade. So yes. when when I arrived at this hotel, my room wasn't ready, and they didn't have. I, they wanted to give me a smoking room, and like anyone who knows me knows, like I hate cigarettes. I hate the smell of cigarettes. I could never stay in a smoking room. So I said, "Listen, we need to uh, do something about this." And they're like, "Well, we don't have any other rooms." And then when they saw that I was starting to get a little annoyed or angry, like somebody gets on the phone, and then the next thing I know. We're in the suite. There we go. There we go. That, <laughs> May I uh, offer you, you some complimentary champagne, my friend. <laughs> yeah. you, you didn't want to stay at Bally's again after what happened last time? That's very strange. Yeah. So I know. I know. Somehow Bally's managed to lose me as a customer. <laughs> um, yeah. Th- that whole situation was handled so poorly. I will. I can promise you I will never stay at Bally's again. Wow. Yeah, never. And that's, Hard to blame you. I don't like to use words like never and always. Right, right. But in this case, I'm confident that I, I will probably never even set foot in there. But if I do, it won't be to go to my room because I won't have a room there gotcha. ever. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about um, staying in Las Vegas is it's much more pleasant to be here and not get burglarized. That's a pretty hot take, man. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know about that, but I, I think I can come to an agreement with okay. you on on that oh, point. Cool. I thought we were going to have a controversy <laughs> on that one. So, Jeff, you, uh, you know, a lot of people know you because you know you're the affable kind of voice of Poker Go. Um, but also, what people may not realize is that you've had a good amount of success in poker, like at the table. You have over two hundred thousand dollars in lifetime earnings, including last week when you final tabled a circuit event uh, at Planet Hollywood. So what was that like? Uh, you know, it's good. I, I mean, I just, I love the, the competition element of poker tournaments. So I try to play a tournament once every couple weeks or so. Um, you might be familiar with having a fortunate run in the main event here and there. <laughs> I feel like Clayton, you know, sometimes we just get on a hot streak, we catch some cards and, and maybe we're like, I'm very, very slightly above average. You know, of course, it helps because my job revolves around me watching the best players in the world play 
all of these hands throughout all of the different stages of tournaments through early through middle through late so you can't help but to pick up a lot from that so whenever i have the opportunity sure i'll fire in some uh circuit events when the circuit comes to vegas I went to Canada a couple weeks ago to fire their WPT main because I want to fire, you know, just one or two of those per year. Um, in the summer, fire maybe seven of the prelim events when I'm not working. And of course, you know, me and you are lifers for the main event, right? <laughs> Where we're going to be in that every single year. If the, you uh, ever don't see way. me in Vegas during the main I'd event, I'd be concerned. I'm dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I promise. I'm uh, dead. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that does it for you. So um, it, it's great. You know, this specific tournament, of course, it's nice to run well and to at least uh, think that I played well. And it, you're always extremely frustrated at the end when the end result is not a win, right? You know, that's we play poker tournaments to win. Sure, the money is nice and the money increases and that's great, but like I just want to win. And so, you know, you can't help but be disappointed. But when you look back at uh, a fourth place finish in a circuit event, you're like, okay, sure, I'll yeah. take it. I mean, that's really good. I mean, any time you, theoretically, any time we make money playing, we should be happy because sure. you think about that tournament you played in had like 250 players uh-huh. or so, you know, the chances that you're going to win it, you know, even if you're twice as good right, right. as yeah. the average player, it's like 125 to one, mm-hmm. less than one percent chance that you're going to be happy. So I try to tell. I'm, I'm speaking as much to myself as I am to you, <laughs> sure. because of course you had a run last we, week, right? Yeah, and all competitors, uh, we want to win. Like, of course, you want first place. You want the hardware, <laughs> right? You know, you you want the you want the glory. Uh, I'm not going to wear my circuit ring if I ever get one, but I'd like to have one. Right. You know, fair, yeah. fair. Very fair. And, you know, I think it's uh, natural to think of these circuit fields as being soft fields. And sure, they are at some points and they are at some stops. But this Vegas one, when we were down, Clayton, at just two tables left, at my table was Dan Rabinowitz, Scott Stewart, and Dylan Wilkerson. Those that are names we know. Yeah. yeah, that is not <laughs> yeah. soft. So it's cool to be able to have the opportunity to compete with, you know, some of just the really top level players out there. And I think you get that added element when you come to a series stop in Las Vegas. For sure. But, you know, all things being equal, if I'm going to pay 330 plus $70 rake <laughs> to play a $400 tournament, I, I'm hoping that the field's going to be soft yeah. enough to justify that exorbitant rake. I've been harping on the rake for weeks. It's like ridiculous. It's gotten worse and worse. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about your results. You and I actually met in the main event, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But first, I want to say I noticed on your Hendon mob that you have a first place finish and a second place finish in the two hundred and thirty-five dollar hey. Rio Daily Deep Stacks. <laughs> So why why are you some kind of deep stack king? What's God, the secret? I, I mean, th- those fields are uh, are interesting to say <laughs> the very least. You know, we just credited the fields that are in the circuit events here in Vegas. The fields for the two hundred thirty dollar daily deep stack are uh, not the strongest in the right, world, I would say. Right. But with that said, you run into a lot of strange players and strange plays that you just aren't used to in any way whatsoever. Now, of course, you just have to run like absolute God in these tournaments, right? To have a first place finish and a second place finish when there's a thousand to twelve hundred players, when it's a one day tournament, blinds are going up every thirty minutes. Turbo. Yeah, they're effectively skipping levels, you know, every two hours also where you're making bigger jumps than you normally would make in, in even a, a circuit event. So part of it is running good. And then looking back to those final tables, I think everybody in my limited experience at those final tables is so concerned with laddering 
Um, and, I, you know, I would say ICM, but I, I don't think they're thinking of things in ICM context. They're strictly like, oh, seven places, you know, $1,000 more, but six places, $2,000 more than that. So if I can just fold, 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 I can work my way up. And I, I think I was able to pounce on that and just stay super aggressive. You know, and when I had 40 bigs and everybody else had 13 bigs, you know, it just going to try to run them over and they're going to try to outlast each other exactly exactly so so that's jumps. all that it was so as long as you run super hot throughout the entire tournament and get to the final table give yourself a chance with 30 ish bigs or so i think it uh i think it sets up pretty well for you to have a, a pretty good result yeah because when players with that mindset are playing that way yeah. uh, they're going to make so many folding mistakes all you need is for them not to pick up a monster and you're pretty much going to win the thing it, it's so true I, I mean you know for example folds to us on the button and let's say the small blind and the big blind have that 10 to 12 big blind range or so and we just rip it in with you know so much of our yeah, range let's whatever. say we have 30 to 40 yeah. big ones and so often that and i can distinctly remember this that the big blind will like look down at ace five or something ace five i'll snap call in that kind of situation and just be like, oh man, I, you know, the first card I looked at was good, but I'm definitely folding, you know? And you're like, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah, yeah like queen six of spades or something. Yeah. That, that works That works for me. So there are so many scenarios just like that in one of these daily deep stacks that I, I think there there is a little bit of value to those tournaments, even though it is effectively a super turbo. Yeah. And so in one of your uh, deep runs in the main event, you know, staying on the World Series, uh, was maybe the most fun table I've ever been. Same. I mean, that table was ridiculous. Actually, where Jeff and I met, I don't remember. Do you remember what year that was? 15 or 16? Uh, 2015. Okay, so... You in, have so many deep runs well, in the Well, I didn't you know, mean yeah, to. Yeah, sick for, brag. Yeah. Which deep <laughs> right, run right. was it? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I didn't mean it that way. I just couldn't remember the year, actually. <laughs> 2015. Uh, yeah, so in that year, uh, unforgettable for me, I was uh, third in chips with 100 players left. And at that really fun table where you and I met, uh, I, that's the year that I picked up Pocket Kings yeah. on consecutive hands and went from third out of 100 to uh, 96th place. So, yeah, that was uh, pretty brutal. And, and for a long time, I didn't want to ever see Pocket Kings uh, under any circumstances, but I've, I've gotten over it. Um, and we all have similar stories, but how many of us have stories where you know, what was my equity in that tournament as one of the oh chip my. leaders with a hundred players left and nine million for first. Uh, and also the odds of getting Kings, you know, back to back and especially in those spots with the way those hands played out and losing like, with them twice. <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean, just astronomical odds. So yeah. when you combine all that into the mix, I wouldn't have blamed you if you just snap quit right, poker yeah. and just ran for the Hills. Yeah. And, I read on a, do it you. I read on a poker site, somebody like, you know, they, posted like the poker news reporting of my two hands and and somebody wrote yeah if this happened to me i would just kill myself <laughs> oh, okay i mean that is I was a like, little no. extreme I don't, I don't know about that one no no you do you, you still get paid like you know it's there's <laughs> right, a nice right. consolation prize you know uh so well anyway what what made that table really fun was just the personalities uh yeah. We didn't get any TV coverage for that table, which to me, I think is actually a bigger regret than the way the cards kind of screwed me at the end, because our table was so much fun. We were laughing. We were playing. There was even some singing going on. Um, you had a fun rail of, of some of your friends back yeah. home in Texas that had come out. My mother was, was there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was a super fun table with just a lot of fun-loving people who were ready to enjoy the moment and not just... 
uh, sit there with headphones and try to, you know, fold my way to a bracelet or whatever. We had good action, but it was also just kind of a fun table and really a pleasurable experience. Um, we didn't get on TV because Daniel Negreanu was still in the tournament. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, you said it. I think if you were to just walk past that table and view us for a little bit and not see the cameras, you would have never thought that we were down to, you know, nine or ten tables left in the main event of the World Series of Poker. You would have just, you would have just never assumed that based on the. Um, jovial atmosphere that took place at our table and our our table was pretty strong i mean i know toby lewis was there for a yeah. little bit and i like toby lewis a lot i've become um friends with or at least i consider him a friend he probably considers me as you know some random acquaintance <laughs> of sorts but um I, I like toby a lot you know he's he's just one of these stone cold killers um i think tony tran was there and you know looking back on his career especially these last couple of years he's really been an up-and-comer especially um on the wpt scene i believe so it was just a great mix of like top level poker and pure entertainment i mean we we realized that this opportunity doesn't come around so often and so i think we all were able to uh enjoy the moment despite feeling an immense amount of pressure that comes with being that deep in the main absolutely and you know, you impressed my mom. She still asks about you every time I come to Vegas. Like, did you did you see Jeff? Have you have you talked to Jeff? How's Jeff? Um, yeah. So that, of course, was 2015 before there was even such a thing as Poker Go. And then fast forward a couple of years later, uh, I was asked to do commentary for one of the first color commentary for one of the first uh, streamed events. I think it was on Twitch mm -hmm. the year they did on Twitch. And of course, I'm expecting to see David Tuckman when I walk into the booth because he was the guy. But it was before he came. He has a different schedule. Mm -hmm. So he misses a, like usually the first few events every year. And so then I was like, there's my old friend, Jeff Platt. And, you know, the, the PA or whoever is about to introduce us. And I'm like, you don't have We're to introduce good. me to this We're guy. Good. Yeah. What, what are the odds <laughs> of that? I mean, that was, uh, I believe, my second day of calling for the World Series. Um, I just moved out to Vegas a couple months before. I was told, like, yeah, we might be able to use you. We're not too sure. I'm like, whatever, I'll just go for it anyways. And they're like, okay, you'll be working with, I think it was Jeff Gross and Bart Hansen on the first day. And then second day, you'll be with uh, Clayton Fletcher. I'm like, <laughs> my man, you know, this is awesome. And we were calling, we were calling the 100K, 100K right? 100K, yeah. This was, I mean, I still think about that um, an Elio Fox all in that just shocked us both. And I, I don't remember the exact details, so I won't replay the hand because I don't, I don't want to botch it. But like the, the, the level of play that we were able to witness and broadcast when we had a huge audience on a Twitch, too, audience on that Twitch. was, that was just a, a fantastic overall experience. It was, it was great um, to do that with you, but definitely like of all the events for me to do, I, I make no, uh, I'm no bones about the fact that I'm not on the level of uh, <laughs> you know, the top players in the world. So we're watching Elio Fox and Jason Kuhn and, and uh, David Peters, right? I mean, some of the best players on earth are in this $100,000 buy-in tournament, which took place right after the, uh, the Super High Roller Bowl, mm -hmm. I think. So mm -hmm. like they were all like you know playing all these big events. And, and there were several hands where 
the play was just over both of our heads. And the Twitch viewers were very happy to let us know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think that's always true. Because, you know, in that Fox hand, we were probably saying, well, he can only fold or call here, and then he just He's shifts it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, just like, it's just things like that. These guys were just so outside the box, especially, um, I feel like, for that. To, you know, the game constantly evolves. That's what we love about it, right? But in 2017... At that specific event, they they really opened our eyes to a couple different things, and it's just the the whole thing is fun. That, that's why I love covering poker tournaments and and broadcasting poker tournaments. Um, the storylines that develop throughout a tournament, the unique level of play that you see throughout, and also how that play changes from tournament to tournament. I, I just find it all um, captivating. Yeah, well, for me, back in 2017, I had never heard of Elio Fox. He wasn't as well known at that time as he is now, of course, but I became a huge fan of his that day. And if you haven't, I'm sure it's still available online. Somehow you can look that up. The 2017 hundred K WSOP high roller. That was the the one we do. Yeah, it was, it was day two. So yeah, that was super fun. And then we got a chance to do some more uh, commentary together. And uh, you know, of course we've become friends. So when I ran into the other day, uh, shortly after you made that final table, I said, "Hey, why don't we uh, why don't we do a podcast and maybe we can talk about some of the hands?" So, are you up for that? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. You know, it's an honor to share a hand with you on the Tournament Poker <laughs> Edge podcast. I mean, no, to me, I'm the one who's honored because when you told me that you're a listener, I actually didn't believe you. I thought you were just being polite, but now I know you really do listen to the show. So I appreciate it. You know, a lot of times, especially when I'm doing the, the ones where I don't have a guest, I feel like I'm literally just talking to myself and then, <laughs> you know, it gets posted online and no one listens. But then uh, I find out that, you know, players that, that I admire and respect are listening as well. So that's pretty awesome. So uh, you were, this was the six max, correct? Yes, this okay. was the six max. It's a, it was a $400 buy-in two day event. And you know, like we've talked about, these circuit structures are not the greatest in the world. They're, they're half-hour blind levels. They eventually hit the 45-minute mark. I think they hit 45 minutes at level 24. And, I, you know, day ones are 20 levels. And I'm like, guys, can't we start 45 minutes on day two? Like, do we, need, do we really need four more 30-minute levels? Like, can we, just, can we just open things up a little bit? It's going to add an hour to your tournament, maybe, if that. But, nope, they start uh, at 24. So at this point in the tournament... The blinds are 400, 800 with an 800 big blind ante. I have about uh, a 60 to 65K in chips okay, because so I am the best, of course. You naturally, know, that's just, yeah. It was just all skill yeah. getting up to that. And, you know, yeah, so what was the average stack at that point? Um, I would say average stack at 400, 800. I think the whole tournament was still pretty deep. So I would say 50 bigs and, you know, 40K-ish stack. And, and that's what... Um, it, it was probably less, actually, looking back on it. Probably a little less than 30K. It was probably less than 40 bigs. But my opponent in this hand had 50 bigs. And you have about, about 75 big bars. Exactly. Okay, and of course, I also like to translate to M for those who course, prefer yeah. M. So 8, 16. Is that right? No, 4, 8, 8. It's 4, 8, 8. 4, 8, 8. So there's 2,000 in the pot, and we have 60 in our stack. So that's pretty easy. 30. Yeah, yeah. yeah M is we, 30. Even we can do that, Matt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like when it's like doable in my head. Right. So... Yeah, so your M is thirty. By any measure, you are in healthy. Uh, yeah. You know, you're you're above average. You have playability. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where you want to be for as much of the tournament as possible, obviously. And how many players did you say were left at this? Oh, I think at this point, you know, e- registration is even still open. Oh, okay, so it's still um, relatively. Yeah, early. it's. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe there are hundred. 20-ish people left. Okay. 
Um, Do you think people are still buying in at that point? I know registration's still open, but... I think, you know, a, a small percentage of the okay. field. You know, a lot of these circuit grinders, if they have a below average stack, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they're just looking to get the chips in, um, go off to re-enter or try to try to run up a stack. Right, so these events have unlimited re-entries. And mm-hmm. we've been talking on this podcast a lot lately about you know, kind of the controversy with the player of the year and should you be allowed to re-enter and, mm. and all that kind of stuff. What are your kind of thoughts in general before we get to the hand yeah. here about re-entries? Do you think they're good for the game? Do you think they hurt amateurs? Just kind of your your observations on re-entries or not. Yeah, well, first, I, I heard you discussing player of the year last week and I liked a lot of your ideas. As far as re-entry is concerned, I, I just, I think it's good in moderation. And I think it's it's terrible when you just kick down the door, yeah. and it, when you feature you know unlimited reentries in any kind of a main event, let's say a circuit main event or WPT main event, it's just really going to hurt the amateurs. It, it's a common argument, but it's a good one. Like if an amateur fires this thirty three hundred dollar event, let's say, um, and uh, Dylan Wilkerson, I said his name earlier, mm-hmm. is going to fire that one also. But Wilkerson is going to spend up to five to six bullets. Like it's just not fair for that amateur, or those amateurs in the field to have to knock Dylan Wilkerson out of a tournament six five times. or six times. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just not like I just now I, I I like you know the idea of a single reentry maybe available um, even if there's a day one A and a day one B and you can fire up to four bullets total. I'm not completely opposed to that. I would love for all main events just to be one single reentry. Not all, of course. Some should be freeze out and freeze out only. I think the biggest tournaments of the year should always be a freeze out. Um, I think that's just the most, that's just the fairest approach all the way around. Listen, you know, these casinos, these tours, they have to make money. We all understand that. They have to rake. Even you understand that. The rake is going yeah, up and yeah. up and up. It's just going to keep, so I, I understand why they, um, allow re-entry again i just go back to this point it has to be in moderation or you're going to ruin the overall experience for amateurs which could really have an impact in the long run which could hurt so you would favor you would favor uh a cap on the number of re-entries maybe three well what i would favor is just one re-entry in tournaments um what i'm you know "Quote unquote," fine with is one reentry per day, Got it. and if there are other starting days, then you can play it. Yeah, yeah, then that's right. fine. Whatever. So that yeah. that kind of um, that sums sense. up my you know yeah. kind of confusing take. We, on we don't want to lose the the fish, as it were. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, if Dylan wants to play five times, he's going to put a lot more money into the prize pool. Sure, and you know, I, I strategically, it's going to be hard to beat him five times, so he will have a. A better chance of winning, but at the same time, he's also paid for that opportunity five or six times more yeah. than I paid as an amateur that's only going to fire once. Maybe I want a satellite. I don't have another thirty five hundred right, to play right, again, right. Yeah, whatever. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I could kind of see all sides of it, but I do miss the old days of rebuy, where they, they wouldn't yeah. rake the rebuy. You know, they want to do a rebuy yeah, tournament. Never seen that. We're never again, seen Clayton. that again Sorry. because they're yeah. making way too <laughs> right. much money off on it. You know, if the players would would come together as we did when Venetian tried their little stunt a few months ago, uh, and just not play those kind of tournaments, then you know, if if we in other words, if we all agreed we're not doing this reentry, yeah. like I already paid the rake, don't charge me again. But you know, players want titles and players want to make money, so 
if you they're not bending the rules, they're just going to continue to play. So, yeah, I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on that because I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, well, what's, what's best for the game? And in the World Series of Poker, I would like to see a strong cap used on reentry and have reentry not be available in a majority of the events. You know, I understand for the $800 deep stack championship, whatever, you want to have people throwing some bullets, show the Colossus. Yeah, go ham on Colossus, yeah, whatever. Crazy. I mean, yeah. like, yeah. 20 by Yeah, it. go make all the money. <laughs> go get all the, you know, that that's totally fine. You can go get all the rake from that one. But let's keep a sense of uh, prestige yeah. in the World Series of Poker. Not all bracelets are created equal. Yeah. And none of them should really be for sale, especially the higher ones, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, to your point and to a couple other people's points as far as uh, Player of the Year is concerned, you know, let's... Like you said, you don't want to buy a bracelet. You also don't want to be able to buy points in right. Player of the Year, right? So if you min cash the Colossus on your fifteenth bullet, and you you, you get get like one or two points as opposed to forty eight, right. you know, like like let's work on that a little yeah. bit too. I don't know. We could go on and on about yeah. Player of the Year stuff. Yeah, everybody has opinions on, yeah, yeah, on yeah. how to how to uh, restructure it, but right. yeah, that's. I mean, there's no prize for it anyway. So until there is, maybe it doesn't really matter. But one thing that I heard Daniel say recently, and I do want to get to this hand, but I find this fascinating. Daniel says that the formula for player of the year is non-public. So you can't tell me until yeah. you get your points how many points you're going to get. That should totally be public. <laughs> right. Why and is that so a secret? The World Series stance on that is that, well, we give you a calculator. So you can calculate, you know what how many points you're going to receive and so everybody's like okay you know like but can't we just have the formula that the calculator is using and they say no no the formula is ours so i I, it's very bizarre how that whole thing works everything needs to be fully transparent fully public which it will be for sure after this after this controversy yeah Yeah. era that they have when the golden boy ended up having his title stripped from him (laughs) i'm still bitter i love daniel you know he's a friend yeah yeah, but I, I'm still bitter about how our table didn't get on TV because he was on TV. Oh, yeah. Damn you, Negreanu. Um, God, that is... That is, that is so well, we don't want to see the sportscaster and the comedian having right. fun. I mean, what, what a dream combo. <laughs> Come on. Just because some guy named Negreanu is at the featured still, table? Um, one of the, the senior producer at now Poker Central, uh, Dan Gotti, I still you know give him some grief for that. I'm like, you know... You know, I, yeah, I did. I did watch in 2015 when I was on for like 12 seconds. Yeah, I was there. You know, yeah, I saw that. 12, I saw those episodes. Thank you very much. You 12 know. seconds more than I got finishing 96. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, all right. So we have an M of 30. Getting yeah, back to your hand, yeah. you've got what is it? 75 big blinds. Yeah. Okay. And what's the uh, action here? Uh, the okay. So the button starts this hand with 40k. So right. he has he has 50 bigs. Um, it folds around to the button, and the button I would describe as. Um, it's the kind of amateur you run into pretty frequently on the circuit. You know, it, not overly concerned with like stack size when it comes to his betting. Not you know, not a guy who's going to be thinking I have ace of spades on this board, so I block you know X, Y, and Z. Just a, a pretty standard ABC player. Not saying he's bad, but just very ABC. ABC, very and, and I think that's pretty typical of the yeah. field in a four hundred dollar circuit event. 
not bad players. I mean, they're, yeah. they're not clueless. Like they know the rules of the game and right. the basic strategies. But yeah, they're probably not thinking too much about you know card removal and combinatorics and things of that nature. So yeah, sure. Yeah. So it folds around to him. He raises to twenty two hundred at four hundred eight hundred blind. So a little bit bigger than you know we're used to seeing. And I'm in the big blind this hand. Small blind folds, and I look down at the ten eight off. Okay. Now, how much did you read into the fact that his sizing was above average for the it, table? Nothing, it, nothing at all, because that was his go-to. Oh, okay, so, so he he was in the three X ish range. Right. So sometimes it was twenty two hundred at that level. Sometimes it was twenty five hundred at that level. So but you didn't really see didn't a pattern. Read into it, yeah, but the typical raise of that table, just to be clear, was probably more like eighteen hundred. Yes, it, yes, okay, yes, right, exactly, yeah. exactly. All right, cool. So, okay, so we have ten eight off. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't see any reason to three bet. Mm-hmm. I think your hand's a little too strong, actually, to three bet. We, I want to see a flop against this player with this hand. So, and I wanted to see a flop against that player with yeah. that hand. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just just calling, you know, all day every day yeah. there in that spot. I think. Yeah. I mean, like you said, we're a bit too good to three bet. Um, there's no reason to go out of control in the big blind in this yeah. spot. I just I do like to have some bluffs in my three betting range. Like if I do three bet here, I'm going to make it pretty big mm-hmm. with whether I'm bluffing or not. Like I probably he made it 22. I probably make it close to eight thousand, maybe like eight eighty five. Same, same. I, I I've really started, you know, not to go off on a huge tangent on pre flop sizing, but when I'm three betting out of the uh, small blind or big blind, like I'm going to size it up pretty good. Like I'm going to make it a four x ish three bet and that's just if there's me and the original razor in the pot now if there's a raise and a call i'm gonna size it up even more yeah, add a little more for just, that, yeah, yeah i've just you know that's one thing that i've changed the most over you know the last couple months and being able to watch all these guys on the high roller scene is that they really are sizing up there are three bets. And so I that's think, something I like. To I do think now. part of that, and yeah, I don't mind spending a little time on this pre-flop. I know yeah. this hand's about to get more interesting, uh, but yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know, this is kind of important guys because kind of the basic fundamental, I guess, theoretical idea here is that the more polarized you are, the bigger your sizing should be. Right. Yeah. So we're going to call with hands like 10, eight, Jack, 10, eight, seven, eight, six. Like yeah. these are hands we're going to be calling with. So when we do three bet, it's going to be with a really big hand or something like Jack Deuce, right? I'll put a few like just god awful hands that I'm just hoping I can get through with a big mm-hmm. three bet. So that's pretty polarized, right? It's either aces, kings, ace, king, those type of hands, or it's like Jack Four, Jack Deuce, yeah, yeah, right. Ten Deuce, yeah, like that's horrible. That's the definition of polarizing yeah. right there. And yeah. so, you know, the computers have taught us, the GTO bots mm-hmm. have basically figured out that the more polarized you are, and it does really make sense because you're representing a big hand. So you would want to make it bigger for value. So then you also have to have a few bluffs in there to balance. So when we three bet here, there's really no hand that I would make it like 6K with. Right. And I completely agree with you there. And I also think that nowadays, at least in these circuit fields, um, and even in fields like the WT mains, like these 3Ks, 5Ks, mm-hmm. that a three bet out of a small blind looks so strong when you don't really have to be that strong to three. Like, I, I love three betting with a, a queen jack, for example, out of a small blind, if there's a raise and a call before us. I just think that you're going to win that pot so many times. And and it's like you were saying, you know, I know this isn't 
either a really good hand or a really bad hand because out of the small blind, we'd be three betting those really good ones. Right. We'd probably just fold our really bad ones right sure. out of the small blind. We save our three bets with those for the big blind. But those kind of middling hands that you don't really want to play out of position that have a little bit of value, you know, a queen 10 or a queen nine of diamonds or something like that. I've really um, liked the idea of three betting them out of the small blind. I think it's a play that... That again looks really strong, and your hand does have some have plenty of playability moving forward if you do get called. So I just think you know that's that's something I picked up. I think I was looking at uh, Nick Petrangelo's Upswing Lab, not to mention any other companies, of course. Besides, <laughs> um, okay. I'll just cut that. Part. Yeah, besides, started <laughs> but um, you know that that's something that he speaks pretty highly on. So I just think that's an interesting dynamic to to just consider in the small mind. You know, and then you're you're probably gonna whittle the field down the most likely heads up with you in the original razor if you do get called. So instead of, you know, playing queen jack out of position in a four or five handed pot, you know, let's three bet it, maybe take it down there or go heads up against our opponent. Yeah. And if you are called, like you say, you have a playable hand that you can figure out what to do on the flop a lot. Yeah. I think calling in that situation, depending on who the razor and original caller are, may actually be a mistake because, you know, playing against multiple opponents with a marginal hand, like a queen 10, uh, it could end up being unprofitable to call, whereas folding is probably okay, but it might feel a little tight. Mm-hmm. So then three betting kind of becomes the best option. And in that particular instance, I don't think it's necessary to go quite as big because you aren't as polarized. So sure. that's a great know, point. Yeah, maybe a little bit less, but you still want to have it. You don't want to make it too easy on your opponents. You know, if you make it three X, you're basically offering two to one. And they're going to call in position with almost everything. So you got to go a little bigger than that. Yeah, I think so. we agree there for yeah. sure. All right, cool. So let's get back to your 10-8. So here we call. And how much is in the pot before the flop here? We made it. Uh, it's 2,200. We made the call that's uh, 4,400 plus that big one, Auntie. 5,600 5, is okay, in the pot. Okay, so 56 in the middle. And the flop is? The flop is 10, 10, 8. Oh, so is a, that good? That's an above average flop. I, I came here on this podcast for the analysis, Clayton. That's all That's all I have listed in the notes. I just, just want you to tell me if that's a good flop. <laughs> so instead of like really getting into analysis of how to play poker, we're just going to talk about hands yeah. where Jeff Flat makes the nuts. <laughs> yeah, this just shows that you just run good uh, to, to move deep in circuit events. Okay. Um, I'm sure there's so, some reason why you there want is, to do There is. There, there is a reason. But the reason is not now. Okay. Um, right. I'm guessing that you're able to guess what I did on this flop. I think I did not go all in. I think it. we should go ahead and check. Yes. And the reasons, you know, just quickly, uh, leading doesn't make sense with yeah. any hand in, on this flop. Uh, whether you have ten eight or ace jack or whatever you have, uh, I don't I don't think you should be leading this flop with any holding, especially not this one because you have all the cards worth having right now. Mm. So you might as well check and see if this guy will at least put out a continuation bet. That's exactly what I did do, and that's exactly what he did do. He awesome. bet twenty five hundred. Okay, so twenty five into fifty six. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a pretty standard sizing for him. Like for if him, he, yeah. yeah. And and really, in his shoes, I think I would make the same sizing with all of my range. Like, even if I flop trips, uh, even if I had pocket aces, because you don't really need, you're not going to get action from very many hands that your opponent can have. So you want to try to get more of those hands to call, like a curious call with pocket fives. Like, you got to think about what am I value targeting? What, what can I get action from on 10, 10, 8 when I have two kings, right? Or, you know, whatever his value range is. Like, say, say for example, he has kings. When he makes a bet, it's got to be a bet that you can call, and you probably don't have a 10 or an 8. Sure. 
right? Sure. So what can but you call don't, don't you also think, though, that I'm floating there with a lot of hands like, you know, queen nine, jack seven, queen you jack. know, my ace highs, yeah. my random ace highs, stuff like that. Yeah, any kind of gut shot yeah, with an overcard. Yeah. Like, there are a lot of hands you can call with. But if I bet too big, you might just say, you know what, I, I, it's not worth it to call. Right. In this spot, I'm out of position. This guy's betting big. Like, you don't want to tip him off that you have much. So because of that, again, for balance, when your opponent has something like ace high, you know, ace queen or whatever, uh, he needs to make the same bet as he would with kings, which should be a smallish bet. I yeah. think 25 is a good size. Yeah, yeah, I think it's good. I think anywhere in that 2K to 2,500 range is, is pretty good for, again, a, a wide variety of your hands. So uh, that's what he did. And what do you think I did? Or what would you do in that spot, I guess? Yeah, I mean, in your shoes, I think I think calling is, is the play. Uh, you could go for the check raise and hope that he has an overpair and gets stubborn. But I think in doing so, you basically fold out everything that's not yeah. an overpair. And so that's why I think it's better to just check call here. Yeah, it's like you, you, with a raise, you'd be specifically targeting jacks or better. And it's just so hard to put a guy on that small of a range, right. you know, especially the button raise, or really anybody for that yeah, matter. Yeah, I mean, all nowadays. we've seen is a button raise and a continuation bet. Yeah. It's hard to put such a tiny, you know, uh, sample there. Exactly. So I do make the call. So now there's uh, 11,600 okay. in the pot. Um, the turn is the seven of hearts. So now there are two hearts on the board. So it's 10, 10, 8, 7. With two hearts. Okay, and again, Hero has a top full house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hero is very good at poker, so he flopped top full house. Should yeah. I just call him Superhero? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so now this is a card you could consider leading, actually, I think, because... Yeah, well, I've, part of why I bring this hand up, but go Yeah, ahead. I like this spot. Here on 4th Street, the, uh, the Seven of Hearts comes off, which completes a few straights, um, brings a flush draw that wasn't there before, um, and with those kind of hands, I might check call lead some of the time when I have those kind of hands. Mm -hmm. So uh, I also need to do it sometimes when I have the nuts like I do now. So right. for that reason, I would, I would balance here. I would, I would kind of play a mix. I know player, you know, listeners hate when we talk about a mix, like sometimes do this, sometimes do that because, okay, great Clayton, but how do I decide which, I mean, you kind of have to randomize it. Uh, if you told me that you led this card, I wouldn't be mad at it. Um, I also think checking again is perfectly fine, just playing in flow and hoping that our opponent puts another bet out there. Yeah, and that's what I did. I, I checked, but right, that's part of... Uh, the river will be more interesting, but that's part of why I found the turn interesting because I'm like, I probably could lead here, and I would, I'd maybe lead if I had like maybe jack 10 instead of 10-8. I think that that might be a cool spot to lead. Um, and then like you said, you know, flush draw, maybe I just lead here against this specific opponent. And just get a lot of folds right then and there. Yeah, instead when you of spending pick up more some on equity. like a check raise or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. But what, tell me about that Jack Ten. Why would you rather do that with Jack Ten than Ten? So I, I feel like we're so um, we're so nutted, obviously, because we, we effectively <laughs> have the Stone Cold yeah. nuts. But I, I feel like you know that just gives him so many, not so many more, but that gives him more of the eight nines of the world that gives him more of the ace eights of the world that just opens up the door with all of his eights that he, you know, it just adds some hands to a range that he's calling with. That makes logical sense. And if anyone didn't follow that, let me just clarify what Jeff is saying here is that if, if I don't have an eight in my hand, mm -hmm. then that gives my opponent more combos of hands to call with. So right. leading on a Jack 10 with leading with Jack 10 on this board 
would be more attractive of an option for Jeff because he can get more action from more hands that include an eight. Yes. The fact that we have an eight in our hand and we also see one on the board means that it's that much less likely that our opponent has an eight, which means that his total number of hands that he can even call a bet with is much smaller. So we're better off checking to him again and hoping he still has nothing and wants to bluff with it again, yeah. or better yet, has a strong hand that obviously can't be as strong as ours, and will bet again, hoping to get more value from us, not realizing that we have this whole board locked up. Exactly, exactly. So we did check, and he did fire, and this time he bet 8K with, again, 11600 in the pot. Okay, now that is a healthy bet right there. I mean, this is... Uh, th- now we need to ask more questions about this player. Sure. Um so you kind of described him before as being like a pretty standard kind of uh, $400 Planet Hollywood circuit six max player. Uh, so he's kind of playing in line with the field for the most part. Um, how does the field generally uh, construct its range for betting big on the turn after having continuation bet small on the flop? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I feel like these circuit players that we're talking about, if they're betting pretty healthy on the turn, so, let me go back and say that so many of these players, I think, check back so often. So often. When maybe they they shouldn't be. But I think like he's checking back a lot, a lot, a lot here. Like any circuit player, if they have ace-king or something, let's say it folds around to them, they raise it up, flop comes 10-10-8, their opponent checks. They bet, like, if the turn is not an ace or a king, basically, like, they're like, okay, you know, I'm done with this one, and we hope to get to showdown, and we hope to win. Absolutely. Yeah, so... I see so that like, over and over. Right, right. So all of those um, kinds of hands are just always checking back. Now, I should say, and it's something that I didn't mention uh, at the beginning, but this player did seem uh, more aggressive than your standard player. Sure, I guess um, ABC in the sense of preflop play, but but maybe fires... Uh, a little bit more. Okay, than so most. so there's an adjustment. Yeah. So if we can start off by like just kind of taking like a control group, which is the field at large, and then here looking at the at the play of your opponent in in previous hands, he doesn't always give up on the turn and check yeah. back with everything. So you're not necessarily assuming that this eight thousand is necessarily a big hand. Right, 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 right. Exactly. If you know, gun to my head, I would say yes, it, it's a right. really good hand, but you know, leaving the door open versus some circuit players when they're, when they bet turn off. So, you know, he, that he has a good hand for sure that, you right. know, there are probably no bluffs in his range, maybe some semi bluffs with like the ace queen of hearts or something. And he turned to flush draw and, and keeps on firing. So, um, this guy, yeah, capable of bluffing here. Um, but more likely to have a good hand once we see that bet of 8,000. And when he bets 8,000, um, that's obviously important too. He has about 25k or so behind yeah i was going to say do you feel that he feels pot committed not at this point okay no i i do not feel that way i I thought there were um he's putting 13 roughly 13 of his of his 40 roughly 40 yeah yeah. so he's got about yeah a little a touch over 25k right so the real question becomes um how best to get the rest of those chips when he has it when he has something that he's willing to to get broke with Mm -hmm. but also how best to get those chips when he doesn't have it yeah so i mean i guess really the math here is you know just in a theoretical level like what are the chances that he doesn't have anything and that he's just like really trying to win this pot for some Mm -hmm. reason Mm -hmm. 
with this big, healthy, like turn bet. He's just trying to push you off of whatever you've been check calling with. Right. Or how often does he actually have a value hand that he's willing to go to the felt with? I don't know. I mean, in his shoes, even with pocket aces, I would be concerned that my opponent is slow playing a 10 or a a full house. Right. Um, and in this card is, is even worse news for my aces because you may have just made a straight. Yeah. Right. So this is a tricky one. I'm not sure everybody's going to just lose all their chips with pocket aces now, which means I don't think we can raise a bet. I just don't think we should raise even a, a minimum check raise is going to set off so many alarms in his head. And then you're just asking yourself, is this guy just going to go with it? Yeah. When I've just announced to him that he's beat. Yeah. And I, and that's in the end why I called. Well, I just called because, like, I just didn't see like it, this. It's, it's very likely as a really strong hand here for all the reasons we just discussed, and it's very likely that those strong hands uh, are jacks through aces. And if even aces are put in that tough of a spot there with this specific player after he sees a check raise, I mean, like, I just I, I cannot really justify raising here and and even if we check min raise you know that's effectively he knows going to set him in yeah yeah it's committing him for sure so uh, i i i agree with you there that i just did not think that we could raise on this turn card and so i check called okay i like your play so what happens next okay so the river comes the nine of spades okay so So it's ten ten eight seven nine the turn brought a second heart, but it, it's a rainbow board. Um, River nine of spades. Our opponent has again about yet twenty six k ish behind. Um, we have ten eight. We flopped a full house on a ten ten eight. The turn was a seven of hearts. Um, the river was a nine. On the flop, we check called twenty five hundred. On the turn, we check called eight k. Eight thousand. Yeah. So there's there's about twenty eight thousand in this pot. Okay. Here's the thing. He's got a just under a pot size bet left yeah. in his stack. Uh, he's not going to put it in if we check unless he has at least a straight, right? We can agree that he's going to be afraid that he's beat when he has aces, kings, mm-hmm. like those kind of overpair hands. They're not going to bet again. Mm-hmm. So we need to bet. Mm-hmm. And we need to bet an amount he can call so that we can accumulate more chips so we can continue to build our stack. Mm-hmm. So do we want to bet enough to put him all in when it's so obvious that there's four to a straight on the board and the board is paired? I think not. I think I would size down here and just try to get value. Also knowing that if he actually has a worse full house, He's going to raise that bet anyway. So sure, sure. We don't, We're fine. We get all those chips. We get anyway. all the chips yeah, anyway yeah. when it's a cooler situation. Yeah. But I'm just wondering how to maximize versus big pairs. Also, I think it, the only thing that would bother me is if he has a jack in his hand somehow. And I bet small and he just calls. Because there, if I had checked, he probably would have bet more. But I'm willing to fade the possibility that my opponent has a jack or two jacks, right? Uh, and I think betting like 10000 here. He should call a lot with his aces and just be frustrated. But, you know, he's beginning almost four to one. Yeah. So he'd have to call with aces. And he's calling. Yeah. And so that's exactly what went through my mind is obviously, you know, we we need to find the perfect amount that gives us this kind of max value. And 
if our opponent has a jack in his hand, it's going to be jacks like you mentioned, or there are some ace-jack, king-jack, queen-jack of hearts there, sure. right? That turn the flush draw that this opponent would always be betting on the turn. And betting heavy, too. Yeah, 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 and betting heavy and, and betting 8K. Um, but, you know, in my mind, I'm kind of going through, if he has this big pair here, you know, what do we do? And then I thought, like, does it have to be all of it versus, like you said, like a 10K size? Could I go a little um, exploitative here? And bet in the middle of that where, like, he would still have, you know, the value of your tournament life to a lot of these circuit amateurs who, you know, are, are not guys who are firing reentry bullet after reentry bullet, um, I think is maybe something that flies under the radar a little bit. And that if they can hold on to some chips, that those chips to them are a lot more valuable than they actually are right um the fact that i'm not out i can call and yeah, not be yeah out. i can call and not be out yeah so maybe a little bigger than 10 yeah so i i went i went with 23 okay when he has 26k in his stack 26 okay. 26k so you know looking back on it especially after everything that we've discussed i i think that is too big um but I, I think those players call a lot with aces and kings right there. Because, the, you know, you know, it's the old, like, oh, I have aces, I can't fold aces. Right, and then I have a story to complain to my right, friends right, about right. later. And then I Can have you believe how I lost with aces? And then that the adds, guy had 10-8, can you believe it? Right, and yeah. then that adds in, you know, if he has a jack, then we're going to get a lot of chips. Right. Um, so do you want to talk about that sizing, or do you want me to just go ahead and finish it out? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's interesting to me. I think it is a little too big, but I, I think, I I think yeah. you have basically convinced me, though, that going a little bigger than 10 is probably more profitable than betting 10. So maybe the right number, if there is such a thing as a right yeah. number, might be like 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's very fair to say. Um, he, you know, hemmed and hawed, like we've seen from so many poker players. Uh, <laughs> and then he finally... Visit my website, foldfaster.com. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then he does finally make the call. I show, and you know, he gave me one of those like, "Well, that's why I raised preflop to get those kinds of hands out." I'm like, "I'm really never folding this hand preflop." Um, he did not show, oh. and he tossed his cards into the muck. So he called twenty three. He called twenty three, and I would have wow. assumed I would have assumed that this player is showing me the table if he had a jack right it's just like you see that they're like oh my god i got i got so screwed on that river you know because now i couldn't fold now that i had a jack so it makes me think that he he did call with queens through aces yeah i'm I'm gonna lean more towards aces yeah 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 because it just feels like that's the hand that he really can't fold i mean even kings he'd be like oh you must have a jack yeah yeah i thought yeah Yeah. i think so too so yeah (laughs) right it's like if you made each one of us guess, and we had to guess what he had exactly. We would have to say aces, yeah. right? That'd be the um, most favorable yeah. hand there. So, yeah, I guess the question becomes how how much more often would he call with the 10,000 bet or the 14,000 bet? Yeah. Or, you know, did you just get lucky this time that he's almost always going to fold? Or is he always going to call? Because if he's always going to call... Then maybe putting in twenty three is perfect. yeah. Then, then yeah. we then we go big if these are, yeah. if these guys are always calling with the aces of the world there. Then maybe maybe we have to go big there. I mean the you know 
the headlines on the river here are we can just never check. Right. We can just never yeah, check. You absolutely we're, have we're to just, the yeah. It's just too much of a prayer yeah. that he has a jack, right? Yeah. Or that he has ace 10, which of course we block. Yeah. Um, it's just too much of a prayer. Like we just have to be betting there. And then secondly, I, I kind of like the idea that, that I mentioned where against some guys, you know, you can size it up bigger just based on the very simple outlook that these guys are like okay well if i call and lose i'm still alive leave them a few still chips. with a decent a little amount of chip, chip yeah, in the chair yeah, a little yeah, prayer all, yeah. all of that stuff yeah, yeah. so you know all of that is not gto obviously but i think when you're playing these 400 hour buy-in events you can't be 100 percent gto yeah. in fact i think it's a mistake to play a gto style against uh, exploitable players mm-hmm. if the point of gto is that your opponent is is not exploitable so you're going to like follow a basic strategy that makes you unexploitable. Mm-hmm. But if you uh, identify mistakes that your opponents make, you should exploit those mistakes. And yeah. I think I think even the most like Doug Polk like GTO like <laughs> thinkers in the world would would agree with that. Like there's no reason to do like what the what the book or the robot computer says when I know that I can actually make more money doing this other thing that's clearly and, the right choice. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, you just have to work in some plays that the solver would be horrified at you know like it just i mean that's just that's just, i mean that's what makes poker so great like if we all played like the solvers it'd just be so boring yeah um but if we if you know we could use some live tells here and there if we could gather some information on our opponent throughout the course of the day and use that to our advantage i mean that's that's you know what makes it fun and you know the the level of competition is so high because all of your opponents are so different absolutely i want to make one other point about you know twenty three thousand versus ten thousand here mm-hmm. on the end uh if if he only calls twenty three thousand half as often as he calls ten thousand it's still the yeah. right bet okay so there's math there and you know I'm, I'm thinking some of our listeners might not think in these terms because they want to get the more sure call yeah. but you know, just because he's obviously going to call 10,000 more often than he's going to call 23,000, everybody does, right? It's easier to call a smaller bet, obviously. We know that. But, and in tournaments, it's important to accumulate chips, right? It's not a cash game. So you do need to keep moving that stack up. So I might have bet 10,000, even if there's more EV to, you know, if 23,000 gets called exactly half as often as 10,000, it's more profitable in the long run. But, because accumulation is important, there's kind of like a balance between those two factors. And in a turbo tournament too, you want to make sure you know yeah, you get gotta, your hands on some chips. You yeah. got to keep it going in the right yeah. direction because before you know it, your above average stack is going to be an average stack, right. and it just you know because the blinds are coming so fast. Which, by the way, I don't mind. It's just a different strategy for these tournaments. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not necessarily of the school of, that you know longer levels with like every single possible blind level is is good for the game like we do at some point need to get this thing over with it's only eighteen thousand dollars up top like do we need it to last five days (laughs) please please no please for the love of god no yeah Yeah. thought it worked out fine and like late play in this tournament was still deep deep. you know average stack when we went to final table was about uh i want to say 42 big blinds or so that's great which is which is great you know in a 400 hour buy-in so i was totally fine with this structure throughout i mean like like i told you at the beginning sure i would have preferred day two let's go ahead and make the switch from 30 to 45 minute levels or maybe 40 but uh, overall i was pleased with it i wonder what the logic behind waiting till after level 24 is i don't really know 
I, the logic of the planning of some of these events is uh, it, it escapes me. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way to sum that <laughs> up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So before we go, I know you have to run, but tell us about this game show. It's exciting. Like, is, is this breaking news here? Um, it, I mean, it, it, not in the technical sense, but I'll give you some of the, the scoop. <laughs> the scoop yeah. So it, every Monday through fr- every Monday and Friday on Poker Go, we release one new episode of The Big Blind, and The Big Blind is a game show that I host that merges the format from the traditional trivia show that we're used to seeing with a poker tournament. So our contestants are not only answering trivia questions, but they're also betting and raising and bluffing. And it creates this really interesting dynamic. We have an incredibly entertaining um, group of contestants led by one of your friends, Norm MacDonald. I love Norm MacDonald. The absolute legendary comedian. And by one of our enemies, Norman Chad, the World, <laughs> Series, World Series of Poker main event analyst. So No comment. You know, the, um, $30, or $30, $30 would be a pretty weak prize pool. Yeah. Uh, $30,000 in prize money awarded to our top three. Um, we have six different first-round matchups featuring three contestants apiece. Um, we go through quarterfinals, semifinals, and then the finals. I think... Clayton, to be honest, it's turned out really well. I've seen the the finished product, and I, I think it um, creates a dynamic in which the audience can follow along to. You can participate effectively in the trivia questions. And then in our video finale uh, against the house, it kind of reminds me of what me and you go through on this podcast with our hand recaps. You'll be able to put yourself into the shoes of one of the top players in the game, and we'll show you his hand or, you know, We'll show you some other information, and you'll kind of make the decision, like, what does this guy do? What does Christoph Vogelsang do here on the river? Does he just check it back? Does he bet a third of the pot? Does he overbet here? And so I just think it's a cool concept. Our creator, John Bovenizer, deserves a lot of credit for coming up with it. And then Sam Simmons and the Poker Central team deserve a lot of credit for thinking outside the box. You know, yeah, taking is, a chance on a yeah, new idea. Yeah, this, this is, is totally great. unique. This has never been done before, never been seen before. So I'm just happy to be a part of it. And I think it'll be great. So the big blind on Poker Go starting when? Starting uh, Monday, November 25th. So when you guys are listening to it, the first episode... Will have aired. Will have aired. Okay. You can catch all the episodes on demand. They are also being featured as a live event on Poker Go. So every Monday and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time, there will be a live airing of the broadcast. How cool is that? Uh, definitely, you guys want to watch that. The Big Blind uh, featuring... Jeff Platt, now are you the the host of the show? Yes, okay. yes, I am the host right. of the show. Um, you know, I try to keep everybody in line. <laughs> Good uh, luck with those guys. That's hard to do, especially <laughs> considering one of our first round matchups features uh, not only Norman Chad, but he's he's matched up against um, my good friend, Poker News presenter Sarah Herring, and Mike the Mouth Mattisau. Oh, so you no. can imagine trying to rein in both Mattisau and Norman. Um, it's it, again, I, I just think it's entertaining. We have the we have the barstool guys. We not only have barstool Smitty and barstool Nate, but we got PFT for this one. And PFT's, you know, he's big time and very for, cool. Yeah, for him to join us, uh, that was huge for our show. And and you guys will see a lot of your favorite poker personalities in there also. Wow, what a great idea! Combining trivia and poker and putting the uh, the viewer in the driver's seat as well. I, I love it. I can't wait to watch. 
the big blind on Poker Go. Uh, if you don't have a subscription to Poker Go, they don't cost that much. Do you have a, a code? You know, I've, I've, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've always just code. wanted my own promo code. And for this game show, they did not give it oh, to me. So, right. but but let's just uh, say you can use the promo code Daniel. You know, <laughs> of course yeah. you can. <laughs> um, that's Negranu's promo code. That'll get you. Uh, I don't know a bunch of money. It save you ten dollars off an annual <laughs> yeah. subscription to Poker Go. So, uh, Jeff Platt, anything else you want the uh, listeners to know before we say? Uh, no, I mean just thank you for the opportunity to jump on with you. I always like talking with you, whether we're recording the conversation or not. So uh, it's a pleasure to be on. Yeah. Well, congrats on your new game show and congrats on your recent uh, final table in the uh, Planet Hollywood circuit event. So that's going to do it for this week's episode, guys. Uh, If you haven't liked or subscribed or reviewed the podcast, what the hell are you waiting for? (laughs) If you haven't signed up for your subscription to tournament poker edge, you can get one for as low as $25 a month, which is just ridiculous considering the amount of content on the site. So uh, you can get that uh, just by visiting tournamentpokeredge.com. So for everyone here at TPE and for everyone here in Las Vegas, especially my dear friend, Jeffrey Platt, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening. Fine, fine.